This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 195 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show, Tack Through Time. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Equestrian Collections for all of your equestrian shopping needs. Equity Manufacturing, home of the coolest manure fork ever invented. Kentucky Performance Products, scientifically proven supplements for your horse. And Draper Therapies, who we're going to talk a lot more about today. Find them all at StableScoop.com. Welcome to the Stable School, where weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the Stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hell, hot water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop Cause it's time again for Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop This is Glenn the Geek And this is Helena B And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show On the Horse Radio Network well, Howdy Helena Hi Glenn We've been having so much fun down here in Florida. We went out uh, last weekend. i got to tell you about this real quick. And my brother lives about a mile from us in the same equestrian development, and his wife rides a quarter horse about the same size as my wife's beaker. And so we went out to the Florida Greenway, and we Saturday morning, those two went out on the horse trails, and uh, Wayne and I went out on the bicycle trails and did some serious, in what seemed like Star Wars-like jungle. Um, right out of the planet Endor. Kind of reminded me of that, actually. And we had the best time riding out there. The Florida Greenway is actually a linear park that goes all the way across the entire state of Florida. And Uh, how far did you go? We went a couple hours out there into the wilderness and back. What did you uh, do, you little Ewok? We rode our bikes. We rode our (laughs) bikes through through the forest. Um, now I don't have as cool a bikes as they Ewoks had, you know, the ones that flew. Uh, we yeah, yeah, flying. yeah, yeah. No, it was no flying. But this trail, you know, was through some of the coolest palm tree forests and pine forests and, you know, with trails that were just wide enough to fit your handlebars through. It was really, really cool. And, and uh, Jennifer and Pam had a great time on the horses. They apparently had one attack of uh, the flies. They hit a fly section and... That caused the horses to be a little goofy for a couple minutes, but and pretty soon down here you won't be able to do that ride until the end of summer. Because of the bugs? The bugs will get too bad. Yeah. And the heat. But it was yeah. really, really neat. It was like being in a different world. It was really cool. Mm-hmm. Really cool. It was fun. Now, it's how long fun. did it take you? You had to truck over. You had to trailer over to the 15 green, minutes. Right? It's 15, how much? It's 15 minutes from here. Oh, that's that's nice. Yeah, and this thing, literally, they have the most beautiful trailheads where you park your truck and trailer. It's set up for horses, and they have big troughs for water. They have hoses and, and uh, uh, sections where you can hose your horse off. They have ties everywhere for the horses. They have full running bathrooms for the people. It's beautiful. 
All right, fine. Just find me a real estate agent, will you? A good one. It's beautiful. They are the trailheads are well kept up. They're very, very nice. You can camp there. It's cool. It was and then, none of those little gopher hole, sand hole things. No, no. We were good. showing okay. Helena these things in our backfield that just appear out of nowhere, and they're just foot and leg size for a horse to fall down into. Uh, and that's happened to our horse a couple times, where his leg just disappears down to the knee. Yes, that's that's scary. There's this huge 100-acre field right behind their house, and you're like, oh, I want to gallop through it. It's rolling, and it's you, you, just, you can imagine yourself doing all kinds of wonderful things in the saddle. And then you see these little patches of sand, little like maybe, what, 12 inches across? Yep. Eight, eight to 12 inches across. And you're like, oh, what's that? You know? And they're holes. <laughs> they're holes. They're holes. They're we have more like burrowing. cannon bone sized holes. Yeah, exactly. And we have more burrowing creatures here in Florida than I've ever seen before. I don't know what because they all are. The but... soil is so sandy, it's easy for those little critters to get down in there. That's right. And fire oh. ants. I have never seen so many ants in my life as we have on our property. <laughs> but those are part of the, the punishments we have to pay for living in paradise, right? This is true. This is true. And having now visited Ocala and your little corner of that paradise, I would say it's a small price to pay. That's right. That's Although that right. spider, I don't know. He's, <laughs> that's a big bill right there. Yeah, Helena saw one of our fist-sized spiders that we have down here. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, well, we, we have a big show today, don't yes, we? we, do. we, yeah. we and we have a very special guest with us. I, can I introduce her, please? Sure. She's sitting with you. She is sitting with me in my little <clears throat> studio here in New England. I have with me Kat, please pronounce your last name, Voitalak. Kat Voitalak. She's with Draper Therapies. And those of you who are dedicated listeners have um, tuned into shows that we've done before, either featuring Draper Therapies products or uh, I actually went up to the mill, which is in Massachusetts, not too far from me. And Kat was kind enough to give me a tour of the Draper, uh, Draper Mill. And so um, it's a really interesting, really interesting company and really interesting uh, product development process. So welcome to Kat. Thank you for having me. And Kat's just a lot of fun, too. I try to be. <laughs> She's a good person. I know, I, I, you know, Glenn, I don't like people, but I like Kat. Yeah, you know, and you know, you're a dressage rider, right, Kat? I am a everything kind of horse person. So at the moment, I'm kind of more trail riding, dressage, but it just all depends on the day. So... <laughs> Well, you know, I, I know you belong to, is it NIDA? Yes, it's the New England Dressage Association. And uh, that's how I knew you had that dressage contact you know, mm-hmm. there. But, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that, too. I want to hear more about the Dressage Association up there, up there and how important those associations are across the country to the, to the sports that, they're, they, that, that they represent, those ground-level associations. So we'll talk more about that, too. We also have another guest coming up, Michael Diamond, who's a partner and vice president of marketing of English Riding Supply. Michael goes way back to the Miller's times and, and all through the years. He, he has the whole history of equestrian product in his head, and I've known him for a, for a long time, and we thought it would be interesting to get him on to talk about the old days of what it used to be like uh, in, in buying and selling product back, uh, back before the Internet. I know that seems like like that's old times now, Helena. Before internet, pre-internet, pre-internet. There was no pre-internet. I don't even know. I'm so young, so <laughs> <laughs> I had to say it. I'm sorry. I can pinch her. She's sitting right here next to me. I can pinch her. She'll learn. Yeah, she's she's all of eighteen. You know, <laughs> doesn't remember any of this. 
Um, so yeah, so we're going to be doing that a little bit later. Plus, we have a product to pick for the tech and habit segment as well. Uh, but first, we're going to take a little break for one of our favorite retailers out there that's been around since Jennifer and I started our tack shop back in the mid-90s, and that's Equestrian Collections. Howdy, everybody. Glenn here from the Horse Radio Network, and I'm speaking to Debbie, and we have our Equestrian Collections Product of the Week. Hi, Glenn. This week, we're going to highlight the upcoming Summer Olympics. The equestrian teams will be there, and we want to support them. And so does Iridian. Iridian now is offering the London 2012 T-shirt. It's uh, got a picture of a horse on it with kind of a Union Jack on there. You can see it's red, white, and blue, and it's in stock and ready to go now. We also have an American version of this, and that is called the Miss America T-shirt. These are all in lady sizes, and please get them at www.equestriancollections and support our Olympic teams. Well, you go to Equestrian Collections and search for uh, Ridian London or Ridian Miss America, and, the t- and you'll find these particular shirts. I like them. They're good looking. I think these are going to be good sellers for the summertime. And here's another thing. Don't forget that Ridian is actually spelled I Ride On. I-R-I-D-E-O-N. I Ride On at EquestrianCollections.com. <laughs> Thanks to Equestrian Collections for their product of the week. Well, Kat, now you you have ridden in the past. Obviously, you say you trail ride and you've ridden dressage. And you're also part of NIDA, the association up there in New England. Is that what led you into wanting to get a job with a, with a company like Draper? Well, my background, I mean, I've rode horses since I was really teeny tiny. And I actually ended up going to school in upstate New York at SUNY Morrisville, um, where I got a bachelor's degree in equine science and management. Okay, and first of all, stop there. Uh, couldn't you have picked a, a question school that was in a warmer <laughs> place with a lot less snow? I grew up in Buffalo. Oh, well, that was, so that was warmer. <laughs> <laughs> so I just went a little bit, you know, more east. So East, yeah. yeah she didn't even come south. She went east. Right. Um, so I actually ended up going to school and I graduated with a minor in, um, racehorse management. So I used to ride hunter jumpers, used to do eventers when I was younger, did, you know, a little bit of dressage. And then I went to school thinking I was going to be a hunter jumper trainer. And I was like, you know what, this really isn't for me. And there they offered a great opportunity to learn the breeding aspect. But then I transitioned to the racehorses because it was something so foreign to me, but I wanted to immerse myself into that, which was awesome to be able to do that so i actually had my um qualifying license so i could actually raise standard reds at the fairs in new york which was pretty awesome i didn't know you were involved in standard reds yeah yeah so that's what i did for a number of years i mean i used to go to all the auctions and all that kind of stuff and that's what i ended up when i graduated i went to work for windback farm which is the largest standard bread breeding farm i think in the world they have at one time up to 1600 horses at their facility oh my gosh it's it's crazy um and it was a wonderful place to work and i actually managed all of their stallion syndicates when i worked with them um so it was a really amazing opportunity but then i transferred over and i actually hilltop farm which is a top sport horse breeding and training facility I, i worked for them as their barn manager for a time so that transitioned me more into the dressage aspect 
And then I moved up to Massachusetts where I got a job with Draper. And I've always been, and I just, I love being able to immerse myself in all the horse culture because I feel like you can take stuff from any part, like the hunter jumpers, dressage, racehorses, and apply it to what you're currently doing. So I've always been kind of an advocate of everything. So, Well, that's a nice fit too because with such a well-rounded um, background, you, Draper is sort of the... Uh, spoke or the center of that wheel, Absolutely. right? Yep. And all of these little disciplines and, and horse cultures. I'm still stuck on the fact that she's a driver. I can send you pictures. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I wanted to go find me a standard bread to rehome now. Are you kidding me? Do you know, Kat? I don't know. She's that, busy now. I don't know that we talked about this, but that's what I want to find. I want to get a driving horse again, and we're looking for a, 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 a standard bread that uh, rides and drives. Oh um, yeah, I mean they're. Mo- I mean, I used to take all the ones that we were racing and training and just teach them to ride because they're so. It's such an easy transition to do. Cantering is a little bit different, but most times it's like such an easy transition to just hop on their backs and go. And they're so level-headed; it's amazing to be able to work with them like that. I'll tell you, Glenn, your wife is just hell bent on getting a standard bread in her house. I, I know she I'm, is. She's going to do it some way, that, somehow. That leads me to a question that's totally off-topic, but that's what we do here. Um, wh- why do you think? that standard breads have not been accepted into the horse world like thoroughbreds have. Do you know what I'm asking? Why, I wh- do. And I can, this is my theory on the whole thing is, is that it's the thoroughbreds are like the king sport. I mean, it's anybody who's a big player. I mean, there's so much top, top, top money that's thrown around. It's disgusting. When you like look at their auctions and horses are selling for millions of dollars and it's this horse, it's a yearling that it could break its leg two seconds later and you're out a couple million dollars. It just baffles me. But you look at standard breads and you're not, I mean, they're, they used to be a way of life. They were the horses that you used to go to the market. They were the ones then you would race and make money off of. And they're just kind of the poor man's horse, but they're also the ones that your whole family can be around. So why they're not more, you know, appreciated, I, I still don't understand. But I've also, until I went to school for it, I had no idea they were such versatile and amazing horses. Yeah, most people think of, you know, when you think of racehorses, you think of the, the, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for, the, the mentality and the, the highness of the yeah. thoroughbred. Right. And the standard breads aren't like that. They're no. like stock cars, you know? There's like the, the thoroughbreds or the Formula One cars or the fancy, yeah. glamorous That break version. every two minutes. <laughs> right. And then, yeah. exactly. And then your stock cars, which are really just, they're working vehicles first, who are then, you know, put to the test. And so there's just not that, that glamour. But now we're talking about this. Maybe I want to switch over from quarter horses to standard Oh, breeds. my God. Every time well, we I... talk about a breed, she's, she's <laughs> getting that breed. It happens oh, every sh- <laughs> Stuff it. So, Ken, one of the things, too, I think that was that's against standard breads and again this is totally off topic but that i think was against standard breads is they were always known as not being the most attractive the the term jughead came about for a reason i mean i have some pictures which i feel bad because there was this one yearling that was i mean he had the most he had pig eyes they were offset he had just the most roman nose that was i mean he literally like if he would have just tilted his neck down or his head down it would have touched his neck i mean it was such it's such a weird-looking creature, but at the same time, he was so cute. I couldn't help but take pictures and love up on him. So, I mean, it's they've always had that Roman nose, ju- and a lot of people right. don't the severe Roman nose, and a lot of people don't like the Roman noses, and and that's where they got the term jugheads is, is their heads never really matched their bodies. But I think with the breeding going on today, they've gotten much cuter. 
Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah I used to work at a breeding farm so I, at Winback, so it was really nice to be able to go out there and see. And really, it's now it's not so much that they're jugheads anymore. They're really, especially the trotters, are so refined and so beautiful that you would never, like, if you just, other than having the tattoos usually on their neck, you would never know it was a standard bread. Hmm. I mean, it's, they can absolutely be top quality horses if you just looked at them from that aspect. But then you look at the breeding and you're like, oh my gosh, standard bread and... It's right. taboo of sorts. Clear your calendar. We're going shopping. <laughs> uh, that, that's a long way going 35 miles an hour behind a horse to uh, dressage. It is, but that's where it's just the beauty of it. I mean, I got involved with Nita just because Draper Therapies has been sponsoring Nita for a couple of years, and my housemate, um, she sits on the board. So I had been involved with Nita since I moved up here, but just kind of an offshoot way. And the more I went to events, you know, early on with Draper and got to know the people at Nita, they were just amazing people to work with. And, you know, they're helping my education with dressage more and more, which is, you know, something I didn't have a ton of background with. Yes, I wrote it, but I didn't really understand it and all the nuts and bolts of it. And they're really providing me that education, even though I now sit on the board. Um, I get to provide my, you know aspect of things towards them too which you know they didn't have access to otherwise because everybody else is involved in the dressage world so it's a nice balance i feel and it's been great to be a part of all of that and is pretty big it's no joke i mean it's uh, according to them they're, they're the, the well Nita obviously is new england dressage association but it's the largest single chapter of the american dressage organization so we've got quite a few dressage enthusiasts up here um which means that they are a – do they have an influence on the other dressage organizations in the country? I would say absolutely. I mean, we're celebrating – Nita is celebrating their 40th anniversary this year. So, I mean, this is – they really pioneered getting dressage and top-quality trainers from Europe. And now they're getting to tap into top-quality educators here in New England and in America – so it's not they're giving access and education to the community around them and they're involving other organizations too to help promote the sport of dressage. So it's not it's New England and community, but at the same time we're reaching a larger audience. And a lot of other organizations are looking to us and seeing what we're doing and then they're able to take their their organizations that much further. So it's really wonderful to kind of be a part of all of that. It's like a model for, for other smaller organizations. Yeah. How important are those smaller uh, local and regional uh, organizations to a community like Dressage? Oh, they're huge. I mean, if you look, I mean, in any organization, you can look from your 4-Hs up to your regional GMOs because we have regional ones that are like the next step up kind of from your 4-H program that maybe will cover all of New York or might cover, you know, just one area of Massachusetts or Maine or things like that. And they're the ones that get people introduced first and foremost, then you can go the next step up and be involved with NIDA, and then you can have something like the USDF, which is the next step up. But it gets people in at the grassroots level that may or may not be competitive and introduce them to the sport of dressage. If they want to compete or if they want to really take their education further, that's when they can become more involved with, you know, NIDA. Okay. Interesting, interesting. Well, uh, what, and and of course, one of your missions is is education, and I think that, that that at the grassroots level is much more effective than it is at the national level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's what I keep finding more and more because I have now my job, not job, I mean, it's my volunteer position with Nita is I get to do their marketing, which is really wonderful. And I've gotten to learn. I mean, I had no idea Nita had so many facets as far as education, but they're so 
bent on community. I mean, everybody is just a ginormous family. Like, yes, we might be the largest single chapter GMO, but at the same time, it's such a close knit family. You go to these shows, you might volunteer, but you're learning so much and you're part of a family. So then you can, even if you don't compete, it's still a wonderful group to be a part of. Terrific. Well, I right don't even the- ride dressage and now I want to join the group. <laughs> I really need a horse. <laughs> Kat, have you ever fox hunted? No, I haven't, but it's something I've really, really wanted to do. I think so. Helena's going to have you out there. I think that's what's going to yeah. be happening. So clearly, we've, we're going to be playing off of one another for whatever we can provide on. This is so. gonna, I'm just going to need a couple of extra knee braces. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take a break. Uh, I actually got to spend a little bit of time with Joseph from Equity Manufacturing, and he had a couple of helpful tips that we're going to give uh, you over the next couple of weeks. And we're going to be back then with our... Our guest today, Michael Diamond, and talk a little bit about the history of horse products in in the country. Well, hi, Joseph from EquityMFG.com. It's good to have you back again. Well, thank you, Glenn. It's good to be back. And today, I thought I would offer your listeners a tip for this spring that I discovered some years ago and I use very effectively on our ranch. Okay. as you know, one of the annoying results of owning horses can be the inevitable fly population that seems to pop no. up. Yeah, especially this time of year. <laughs> you know, I, we I know don't guys, have as many down here in Florida as we had in Kentucky. We had a ton in Kentucky. But you guys got those stinging red ants. So Yeah, first, we make up for it there. Yeah, you're absolutely Yeah, right. exactly. You sit down on your sand, and then you see just how uncomfortable Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're right. So what about the flies? Um, well, my wife, Diane has purchased every type of fly killer that you can think of. And that would include the sticky little fly tapes and the smelly fly bags, which I hate, and expensive fly predators and toxic fly baits. And yet we still have flies. And I I need to point out that Diane is religious about cleaning up the horse manure in our place. And she'll she'll actually go out and pick up um, the turnouts twice every day. So while clean pastures are the most important component of reducing the fly population by itself, it didn't appear that it's enough. And so on one of the days where I was doing the cleaning, I noticed that some of the horses seemed to make manure that attracted hundreds or maybe even thousands of flies to the pile. And although it's really gross to look at with the flies being just black on the manure, It dawned on me that the piles were acting like the very attractant that the fly bags used. And if only there was a way to kill them on the spot, we might have a solution because you'd kill a thousand flies at a whack. So I ran to the barn and I grabbed a can of fly killer spray. And in fact, I think it was ortho brand. And I got up into the pile and I gave it a quick shot. And in just a few seconds, all the flies were dead. And I repeated this procedure on the other piles that had that attractant quality. And if you've gone out there and you've cleaned manure, you know that not every pile of manure attracts flies. I'm not quite sure why that is, but some of them are just juicier than other piles. And by the end of the hour, I had probably killed a thousand flies. So suffice it to say, for the next week, I was a fly-killing fool, and every time (laughs) Diane would go out to clean, I'd run ahead and give the juicy piles a quick shot. And you know what? By the end of the week, there was no more flies. Seriously. (laughs) By... Where all the piles used to be black, there would be no flies. And the flies that used to bother us while we were in the arena were gone. So my tip of the day, or for the whole spring season, is that when you're picking up your manure, carry a can of fly killer. 
If you see a juicy pile that's attracting flies, get it wind and give it a quick shot of fly, fly spray. A can will last you more than a week. And if you do this every time, in less than a week, you will see a huge decrease in flies. It's the easiest, low-cost method of fly control, and it produces results you will appreciate. And of course, you should be using our flex and forks to pick up the piles, and you can buy them at our website at equiteemfg.com. Well, next up, we have Michael Diamond, who's partner and vice president of marketing for English Riding Supply. He was one of the founders of that company. After, the, uh, after Millers and Isers went out, that's the company that emerged. They're, they're a very big company. He's been involved in retail and wholesale world since he was a kid. And he's one of the, uh, well, English Riding Supply now is one of the leaders in equestrian wholesale uh, across this country and have over 25 different brands that you certainly recognize. Well, let's take a little time to talk to Michael about the history of all of that. Well, hi, Michael, and welcome to the Stable Scoop Show. It's good to talk to you. Well, thank you very much. Actually, uh, we go back a long way, but you probably don't remember it because <laughs> we actually had a tack business in the middle 90s and used to buy from Millers and Lizers and... and uh, and all those companies back then, so I, so I was obviously familiar with you, and I chatted with you a couple times way back when. But let's even go back further than that. As we said in our introductory introduction of you, you're you're kind of the guy that's been around for a long time in this industry and selling stuff for a long time. But your family actually started in the jewelry business. You you actually got your start there. Yeah, that's true. Uh... We were actually in the wholesale jewelry business in uh, <clears throat> Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, I went to high school and college in Lexington and uh, kind of couldn't avoid getting involved with horses. Um, most of my girlfriends were involved with horses. It seemed to become uh, part of my life. At that time, I actually lived in a um, thoroughbred horse farm right behind Keeneland. So I had a, a little bit of initiation to the horse world. But uh, Kentucky, You didn't live at Calumet, did you? Well, Calumet was just right down the road. Okay, all right. And, Close uh, enough. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. We'll take it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Calumet was like uh, two doors down, uh, but we were right behind. Uh, That's not bad when your neighbor is Calumet, you know? No, exactly. Yeah, well, they, 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 they didn't really associate with me, but they were neighbors. <laughs> they were neighbors. They had white, uh, beautiful white picket fences that actually took... Uh, 365 days of the year to, to paint. <laughs> I started at one end and uh, a year later finished at the other. So I was going to high school and college there, and um, my dad was in the ho uh, wholesale jewelry business, a lot of uh, horse motif jewelry. And uh, one day um, I was looking through a catalog from a company in Providence, Rhode Island. Yay! Looking at Looking at the prices. Helena's from right out of Providence, actually. So, Okay. Well, we spent, used to spend a lot of time in Providence because that's where 110% of the costume jewelry uh, was manufactured. Is that right? Oh, hmm. yeah. I always oh, thought yeah. it was just clothing up in New England and mill, you know, steel mills and things. No, no. Providence, Rhode Island was the capital uh, for the world of uh, costume uh, jewelry, which is, you know, hmm. base metal, gold-plated. There was a company out of uh, Rhode Island who was selling uh, Western horse jewelry, and I looked at the catalog and um, looked at the prices and showed it to my dad and said, hey, look, you know, there's some stuff about the same price that we do. Uh, I said, look at these retail prices. And he says, you know, I, I, I don't think those are retail prices. 
I think they're wholesale. I said, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I said, we're, we're selling this at uh, less than half of the price that this other company was selling it for, and we weren't giving it away. So um, I said, gee, you know, being uh, a genius, uh, wow, you think anybody wants to buy the same product at half the price? <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, started looking in uh, Yellow Pages, and uh, every town that we would travel to, I found these things called tax shops. And um, so one day, you know, I put on uh, my, at that time, it was a very nice linen Pierre Cardin suit and walked into this tax shop and uh, obviously immediately looked out of place. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you, I, you would have had to have a cowboy hat and some boots on with that suit to look like you were in I don't place. know, though. Pierre Cardin was, <laughs> was it in those days. At I would have thought, I was, was, uh, what's this guy got? <laughs> at that time, was pretty nice, yeah. So, yeah, especially um, if you're, you're hawking some bling, you know. It's not like you were going yeah. in there with saddles. You were coming in there with some jewelry. <laughs> I don't know any girl who would not look up and say, well, what do you got in there? <laughs> I don't care what you're wearing. What you got that's shiny? Well, it wasn't great for getting dates, uh, horse jewelry, <laughs> unless you do uh, girls in the horse business, because uh, most people go, what? You know, outside of the fancy suit, I uh, walked in the store and said, uh, hey, uh, would you like to buy what you're currently buying for half the price? Well, that uh, highly sophisticated sales pitch uh, usually ar- arrived with a yes. And uh, to make a long story short, uh, I started uh, selling uh, this horse motif jewelry to um, riding shops in Kentucky and Tennessee and and as we traveled. And as some time had gone on, uh, rather than do what I was supposed to do, which was uh, sell the regular jewelry, I kind of got involved in creating uh, this little company which was ultimately called Marquee Equestrian Jewelry. And uh, we did uh, everything from solid gold. Uh, we won a um, creative award uh, for D. Beers with this diamond in the center of a horse. And um, we did solid gold and gold-filled and uh, low-priced stuff. And uh, actually, it became a, a very nice, um, very fun business uh, while I was uh, going to school. The uh, the funny story was um, one time I called up Sears Roebuck, which at that time was a little bit more more of a more of a force in the marketplace, and uh, they had carried some horse things, mostly western. And I talked to the guy, and I was relatively naive, and you know went on and on and on about all this horse jewelry that we had, and. He listened patiently, and um, ultimately he said, he says, Michael, he says, you know, you really seem to be a very uh, nice guy, and you really seem to be enthusiastic about your product. He says, but I don't know, do horses really wear jewelry? <laughs> and uh, I says, no, And no, you no, said, no, of no, course man. they do. <laughs> I said, no, man, this is, we, we call it horse jewelry. It's horse motif jewelry for people who are into horses. <laughs> So that, that that didn't work out as well. Then uh, my dad uh, came came to a point where uh, I think it was 1977. Interest rates were like 19 percent, and my father owned a part of the business. So ultimately, you know, he said, "Well, should I buy this business?" And I said, "No." I said, "You're only going to be giving it to me and working the rest of your life." I said, "Why don't I do?" something and you you know sell the business so he did 
And about the same time, uh, Miller's, uh, George Cobber Miller's, uh, was kind of amazed that we were selling uh, these um, uh, play cases of jewelry uh, to riding stores uh, for a higher price than, than, than most, of, for most of them spent on merchandise f- uh, from Miller's. So that was kind of amazing. So I came to uh, Miller's in 79 uh, to kind of develop the horse motif jewelry business. And for those that are younger than, a little younger than us, um, Miller's at that point was was the leader in, in wholesale and in, in, in retail too, uh, in horse products and it had a catalog and everything. And, and Miller's has been, had been around forever. And I remember waiting, like, you know, calling, did you get your Miller's catalog yet? Mine just came. Did you get yours? Mine came. What's in it? Did you see, you know, page 34? It was a big deal. So you went from... Definitely the Bible. I mean, Miller's was at that point, uh, you know, they had 90% of the business, 80% of the business. Yeah. Uh, It was a very, very different uh, business world because at that time, uh, there was a... Exclusive lines being sold, and um, very often it was impossible for companies to get product. Product was hard to get, which is totally different than it is today. Miller's did have a retail business, and uh, actually they kind of, it's kind of an interesting story, they kind of like backed into the wholesale business because um, Joe Miller, during World War II, there was a virtual, it was almost impossible to get horse equipment. In fact, his father, Joe Miller's father, Meyer Miller, was actually a harness maker in New York City. And uh, he was kind of like the auto repair business. He was actually in the uh, carriage uh, repair business. And did they have a store there forever? Then de- had, in like right a- in the middle of Manhattan or whatever? Yeah, they had a store which was 124th Street uh, between uh, Park and Lexington. and Because um, everybody thought that didn't know the history of Miller's thought, what are they, what, why do we have a tax shop in the middle of uh, New York City? No, there was actually, well, don't forget, uh, there was a lot of horses in New York City yeah, at that time, then, too. Yeah. And, yeah. and the garden well, was a big of, deal. Matter of fact, right down the street was uh, um, basically, I uh, forgot the name of it, but the, 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 the stables were there. And there were all kinds of uh, commercial stables in that area. Uh, and New York was filled with horses at one point. Yeah. So uh, Joe Miller's father, that was his business. But um, during World War II, uh, there's almost nothing available for the, sport, the idea of the sport horse business. And um, because of the rationing uh, during the war, you, you couldn't get... Hardly anything. So Joe Miller would go to England, and he would take a uh, truck or lorry or whatever they call it in England, and uh, he would go from place to place uh, trying to buy buy whatever equestrian equipment supplies that he had. And he would bring them back to the United States, and they would put them into the Miller's store in Manhattan. And uh, ultimately, as time uh, progressed, um, people in... Uh, riders in different parts of the country had heard about Miller's, heard that they had product, and uh, English English product, not Western. And uh, so all of a sudden, the mail order business was started, and that's how Miller's uh, got into the catalog business. 
<laughs> and then as time went on, uh, again, Miller's was really the only importer of uh, product. And uh, Joe Miller was one of the first people to actually build relationships in uh, England and Europe where he was not only bringing in products from the United States, but he was work, he worked with Bird Dynamothy and he worked uh, with Bill Steinkraus and he really started shaping the product so that it more reflected American uh, tastes or ways of uh, training and riding at the time versus uh, the more European uh, or even uh, the traditional English. Uh, no, for 10 years I was at Miller's, and I was a product manager there, and I was responsible for all kinds of good things, uh, developing product ranges. And uh, we, I came up with the name and the concept for collegiate saddles, and we brought Wintech to America, and uh, was responsible for good hands gloves, and uh, really uh, and creating the book industry, and uh, really substantially uh, making a lot of changes uh, in um, the success of the Miller's uh, product ranges. And then uh, the next five years uh, kind of uh, was involved uh, more with the marketing and the product uh, and uh, continued to build on that. We built the uh, horse clothing business. We built the um, sportswear business and uh I mean, the sportswear business became very huge at Miller's. It was kind of funny because it came out of um, what we said earlier, uh, the gift business. And uh, I was in charge of uh, one of the things was the gift department. And I don't know anything about gifts. And we every year we'd go out and create barware. and We'd create, you know, brass door knockers. And at the end of the year, no, not many people bought it. So finally, uh, I was at Devon Horse Show. And I saw this long line snaking around uh, all the little cottages over there. And I said, oh, man, here's something that somebody wants to buy. So uh, I took a look, and it wasn't brass door knockers, and it wasn't bookends, and uh, it wasn't bar sets, but there was all these gals who were standing in line to buy embroidered sweaters. You know, another stroke of genius. Duh, this is what they want to buy. So we started uh, creating a sportswear division of Miller's. And then in 1990, uh, I left Miller's and came to a company called Isers, which was um, much smaller. It was about 10% of the size of Miller's. And uh, there, with a bunch of guys, uh, we built the uh, business uh, into uh, one that was larger than Miller's. And uh, we... Um, we were involved with uh, bringing in Pessoa saddles and mountain horse um, uh, riding apparel. Uh, we created on course, and we became the largest um, uh, riding breach company uh, in the world. Ultimately, um, became as big as Miller's, uh, the wholesale end of it. We didn't have a catalog and didn't do retail. Um, and in the final days... Uh, I was part of a buyout of the company and uh, bought the company from uh, this place called Caldwell Supply and um, became president of advisors, and uh, fortunately we did, uh, did uh, a lot of good things. 
And that was part one of our interview with Michael Diamond, who is the partner and vice president of marketing for English Riding Supply at EnglishRidingSupply.com. We'll do part two next week as we start to get into the history of CAC from Miller's time and Iser's time on to the current. So it's very fascinating because uh, Helene and I have lived through this period of time from the middle 90s on through when we both had our own TAC businesses and the history of TAC and how we've gotten to have so many products now when we had so few few uh, 25, 30 years ago. The, the world has changed. So part two will be next week, EnglishRidingSupply.com. And now it's time for our TAC and Habit segment. Well, it's a hot one out there, and the heat wave has hit much of the United States and the rest of the world. Well, don't let dehydration and electrolyte imbalance sideline your horse. Summer Games electrolytes are formulated to replace both the electrolytes and the trace minerals that are lost when your horse sweats. Its concentrated formula allows you to easily feed the correct amount to meet your horse's changing needs. This uh, electrolyte was developed for the equine athletes at the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta. We all know that it can get hot in Atlanta. For horses on the go, use Summer Games Electrolyte Plus Paste. Each dose contains a serving of Nalox equine and acid for double the protection against stress. And, of course, you can find all of that at Kentucky Performance Products. They take out the confusion of choosing the right supplement. And you can find them at kppusa.com. That's kppusa.com. Well, we're back, and it's time for the Tack and Habit segment, which Helena has picked the product this week, of course, with the help of Kat there. And I got to say, you know, they say a way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Well, at the World Equestrian Games, I discovered another way to get to a man's heart, and that's through his feet. And Kat saved my feet, and I have loved her ever since. If I wasn't married and she didn't have this boyfriend of hers, I would be asking her out tomorrow. Because there is no finer person than the person that saves your feet at a 16-day World Equestrian Games. And she did that by handing me this package after I was whining to her after about day three of my feet were going to fall off. She handed me this package of, of Draper Therapy socks. I came the next day, and in two days, my feet... I never complained about my feet again, did I? No, you didn't. I think I came back and kissed you on the cheek every day and thanked you for my feet. And then you took my picture, too, so you could remember that lovely moment. So. <laughs> That's true. I have that. We're going to put that in the show notes. I still have that. I went and found it the other day, actually, because so, I knew we were going to be talking. And uh, you were part of the 50 Women Project. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. yeah, see, so you were part of that project. Yeah. I know, and I feel so honored to be a part of that. I know. One of the 50 pretty women I got my pictures taken with uh, one day at the World Equestrian. That's Day. all you think about. <laughs> one of the, the United States' most important equestrian events is all you remember as being having your picture taken I, with pretty women. I'm going to make a big montage. You know, it's going to take really, up the whole wall. We need to get you behind a horse quickly, quickly, so you can start talking about other things. All right, what product are we talking about here from Draper? Well, Draper's, uh, you know, I love Draper. You love Draper. We all love Draper. Uh, but not a lot of people know what makes Draper special. And, um, you know, one of the things that, in, as we're talking about this episode, tack through time, is we've got, we got a great history from Michael Diamond about um, the beginnings of one of the powerhouses in equestrian products. And 
over the over the, the you know last thirty years, the technology behind uh, equestrian products has changed tremendously, and. Draper represents the new, the new age, the state-of-the-art technology in its simplest form um, and how it can help benefit not only uh, horses but people as well. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm a skeptic. I'm born and raised in New York. I, I come from a family of skeptics, but I try everything, and I, I give it a good, you know, I mean, I, I try everything. So I think pretty much our Stable Scoop listeners know that. Um one of the things that I tried on my own personal body before um, deciding that I would commit to uh, the horse products was the Draper Therapies knee brace. And I think what makes Draper special is that it features this product called Salient, which if you go back and listen to one of our previous episodes with Draper, we go into a, a great amount of detail um, there. But essentially, it's um, titanium dioxide, which is a, a light absorbing mineral. And what it does at the end of the day is it balances out the amount of oxygen in an organism's blood. So it helps more oxygenated blood flow to areas of the body that might need it. So it creates this, this balance of, of oxygenation in your blood. Right. Yeah. Kat? Um, and so, and, and that's, that's the simplicity of the technology behind Draper therapies products. It's not, it's not magnetic. It's not heat. It is science. It is bioscience, but um, it's a little actually. It, it's just as simple as that. It increases oxygenation in the blood, and if you go and Google oxygenated blood, you will see how important that is to health, athletic performance, mental performance, and a host of other things. So that's the essence of what I think makes Draper special. Well, before you go on, did you just hire her? I mean that. Was the best commercial I've ever heard, right there. Well, wait a minute, because I believe in something, and and she does her homework. So I'm, I'm, I a, can science, tell. I'm a science geek. I, I really am, because like I said, there's so much crap out there. Um, that, that's a scientific and, term too, and I know what that means too. So. Yes, that's, that is a scientific term for go Google Draper products. <laughs> um, okay, so anyway, so what I'm saying is here is that it's it's simple stuff. It's not you know nobody's trying to sell you any snake oil. Okay, so that's that's the technology behind it. There are plenty of companies out there who have great technologies, new saddles, uh, you know, new things that we do with leather and stirrup irons. But then there's a business behind the company. And whether or not the people in that business listen to their market, and we, we talked to Michael about this too, you have to really understand what people need, what horses need, and then go back to your product development team and take that information to your product development. So that's the other thing that I think Draper does well. So what does that mean for me and my product pick today? Well, the knee brace <laughs> that uh, I have from Draper is amazing. It's just amazing. Why? I don't know. Maybe for all those scientific reasons I just mentioned. But when I put it on and I wear it for a couple of days, my knee just feels so much stronger and better and supported and I'm good. I don't even have to wear it all the time. I can take it off for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, and the knee's good. If I start to feel a little algae or sore, I put the brace back on a couple of days. And again, I get that. It's a vitality. That's the only word I can think of is it has a vitality that's not otherwise there. Okay. And now I'm going to step down off my soapbox. I'm going to let Kat <laughs> get a word in edgewise. Well, well what's funny is, is I was um, talking a little bit on the Western radio show, and I 
came up, and this was something because Salient is also in Reebok, Adidas, Saucony. So there's other really large companies that have picked up this technology. So it offers a tremendous amount of credibility to the science behind it because they would never step lightly um, to pick something like this up. But so Reebok, the funny thing about them was is that they have um, their ZigTech line, and that's what Salient is in, is was the, in their apparel, not so much their shoes, but they call it an energy drink for your feet. And that's how it is. I mean, the products are really quite funny. I mean, you can wear the socks, and Glenn, you can attest to this, that you feel, by, you know, vitality from them. It's yes. really quite wonderful. It's you- like perky jerky for your feet. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is they stopped hurting. They just- <laughs> yeah, perky jerky for your feet, podiatry perky. And you know what's funny? You know, that, that has a lasting effect too, Kat, because every time we go someplace now, like if we go to Disney for the day or whatever – my wife always says to me, make sure you have your Draper socks. Well, you had a problem a while ago trying to find your Draper socks to begin with. So I, I think we're making headway into that. So I will have to, you know, hook you up with some new ones, too, so you can find them much Yeah, easier. I got to be honest. These are wearing out now. So. <laughs> I had somebody who was stitching the toes together because they just wore them so much. And they're just like, we can't get rid of them. We can't throw them out. And I'm like, even when they are got, you know, holes in all of them, people are still using them and say they still are effective, which is you know, pretty cool. So, and I have a, a hawk boot for Zeke who, um, has, he just has arthritis everywhere. He's got arthritis in his nostrils. Um, and, and it doesn't, it's, it doesn't even fit him very well. I, I got a size too large because I just brought, I so believe in the technology behind it. I said, let's just give it a try. Even if it doesn't fit. And, um, we put it on him at night when he's in his stall and invariably it's on the floor in the morning, but, Whatever time of the night, whatever, however much time the material is actually in contact with the joint, it's got to be making a difference because he definitely comes out of his stall less stiff in the morning. Um, so, you know, it, it's, I don't know, I just think it's worth it. I really, like I said, when I find something that actually works, because there's this C of, again, C-R-A-P, that doesn't work, you know, you, you get excited that there's something honest and genuine and effective out there. Um, it's like, you know how I feel about all the poo-poo natural horsemanship. I, I love it, but there's so much poo-poo. How do you know what works and what doesn't? And then when you find something that's just solid, you, you just can't stop talking about it. So what are the price points like on the knee brace uh, that you have there? Uh, the knee brace is $30. So we do it in a medium and a large size. And we have like all the measurements on our website, but you can also call me up and usually I'll help you measure, you know, the right parts. so We know which one will fit you. Now, is the knee brace meant to provide support or, you know, what, what is, what was the mission of the knee brace? Well, the knee brace is just to be able to provide therapy to that area. Um, And it's more of people don't like we have something called the body wrap, which you can it's like almost a polo wrap that you can apply to yourself if you wanted to kind of apply your own pressure and stability to the area. The knee support is more like a sleeve that slides on. It's very lightweight, so you can wear it underneath pants or under breeches or anything like that. Um, But there's these very, very, very thin metal bars on the sides of it which offers stability to the leg. So it's not going to like restrict movement, but it's going to help stabilize the area. And I can tell you that one of the, I had a conversation with my physical therapist shortly before wrapping up physical therapy and we were trying to decide on a knee brace, an athletic knee brace that I could wear for riding and whatever other sports I was doing. And so um you know, all that they had to offer, all that the physical therapy 
industry had to offer were these awful braces that did their job and support, but I couldn't wear, I couldn't show in them. I couldn't ride, I couldn't put them under breeches. And I said, you don't understand, it has to be low profile, but still really provide that support. And, you know, sure enough, here comes the, the Draper knee support. And I showed it to my physical therapist whose jaw dropped. She said, this is exactly what we were looking for. And the ones that they were wanted to sell me were about $300 a piece. So, you know. And that's what, you know, I, Jennifer wore knee braces for years for support. And, and you know, they were always 50 60 bucks. So this is a terrific price, actually, for, for what we're looking at. Yep. And it's made in the U.S., that was Woo-hoo! the other thing that uh, <laughs> that we really highlighted on the on the special we did after after Helena went up there is the fact that not only made in the U.S. but still made in New England, right? Yeah, um, pretty much everything. Like the if you listen to the other episode, you'll absolutely get to hear the history. But basically, Draper is Draper Therapies is part of Draper Knitting Company, which has been around since 1856. They're a textile mill based in New England. Um, has Probably been here. Probably one of the few left. I'll add. Yeah, absolutely. And sixth-generation family-owned, which is, again, another crazy, crazy thing because that doesn't happen nowadays anymore. Um, But Draper prides itself in being able to source things from the raw materials all the way through the end product being made in the United States or sourced in the United States. So even though we don't make the knee support, we buy it from somebody else, it's made in the U.S. You know, so we try very, very, very hard to stand behind that. And as much as possible, we source it here in New England as well. So, Okay. That makes sense. And uh, by the way, that episode that uh, we did on Draper is called Made in the USA. It's episode number 174, and that came out December 16th, 2011. So that's when that... So you went up there around Christmas time. I did. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I, it, it feels like ages ago. <laughs> it does. It feels <laughs> like ages ago. But uh, I do travel at warp speed, so that's just me. Well, that's terrific, Kat. So where can the people find the products? Uh, www.drapertherapies.com Sounds good. And where can they learn more about NEDA if they want to? N-E-D-A dot O-R-G N-E-D-A dot O-R-G The North American Dressage Association New England Dressage Association I do that all the time. (laughs) It's okay. England Dressage Association. I think I've done that about a hundred times. Where do you get N-A and N-E? No idea. (laughs) I have no no excuse here. We love you anyway. It's all right. You can make mistakes like that. It's the end of the hour. The ADD starts kicking in. You know how it is. That's why these shows are only an hour long. It's because I I can't go longer than that. No, but I could. That's why we have trouble. I could go on and on and on. And I do. Oh. Well, this, the, the, uh, this is good stuff, though. I mean, this is all really I love the history of where we've been and where we've come because it gives you something tangible. See, here I go again. It gives you this this tangibility. If it's not a word, I'm making it up right now. It gives you this tangibility to progress. Correct. That's silly. That then I think I think you know what I mean. <laughs> I think everybody listening knows what I mean. <laughs> I love how Helena makes up words. And, it, I, and the cool part is she acts such – she just goes with it like it's definitely a word. I know it was must Because I'm be. making it a word. If it's not a word – if it wasn't a word before I said it, I'm making it one now. She's so, so confident. So nobody needs to worry. I'll just take care of it. <laughs> You're good. It's, my, it's a new word. Just live it. <laughs> well, thank you, Kat, for dropping by. We really appreciate you joining us. 
Thank you for having me. And stopping by Helena's house. It's always nice. I got to go down. Studio. It's really high tech. Okay, Glenn? <laughs> oh, okay. Helena's uh, studio house. Um, and I got to go down to uh, Dr. Wendy Ying's place in Sarasota, Florida on Monday and record the driving show from her place down there. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, Sarasota, Florida is a beautiful place, too. Well, you I'm were down jealous. that way, too, uh, Helena, I think. Yes, we, we went through there, um, although Wendy wasn't around at the time, otherwise we would have moved right in with her. Yeah, we stopped off at, um, I, I don't know if I said this in the last show or not, we stopped off at uh, Tampa, Clearwater, St. Peter, yeah. Clearwater, St. Petersburg area, and we got to see Winter the Dolphin, right, and from, uh, from the, the star of a dolphin tail, so the, the dolphin with the prosthetic tail. We got to go to Siesta Key Beach, which is one of the most beautiful beaches I've ever seen in my life. I don't know if you saw the picture that I posted of Jennifer and I on the beach. It is the whitest, finest sand that I've ever felt. It was, and it's huge. The beach is just huge, really wide. It was just beautiful. Oh, wow. Beautiful, yeah. It, it's, that's nice. It, it's that's a, Sarasota? Yeah, that's Sarasota. They, and, and they say it's one of the nicest beaches in Florida because the sand is so incredibly fine. Uh, and white, you know. And How you far see, is that from your house? That's about two hours from from oh. us. Uh, and of course, the Gulf is like bathwater, you know. Oh, uh, did you see any pelicans? Did you swim with pelicans? We I ate, we ate dinner at the old the old salty dog restaurant. I thought you were going to say we ate pelicans. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to hang up on we you. Had, <laughs> we ate dinner at the old salty dog restaurant, and right behind me was this pier. It was right on the water, and there was this pier that's sticking out, and there was a pelican on that piece of wood the entire time we ate so he's about that 10 feet behind me uh, there were pelicans everywhere i was they're amazed. awesome you know what else we saw for the first time cat that i've never seen in person before and in, in the wild in zoos and everything was a bald eagle uh there was really? a bald eagle hanging out in wendy's neighbor's yard it was just hanging out in the yard walking around eating things and hanging out bald eagle yep it was really cool just hanging out. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, there's a lot of bald eagles in southern Florida. Good. <clears throat> yep. They've made a comeback down there. But that was fun. So that was a good time. And, Kat, you get to spend a lot of time in Florida, too, but you're on the other coast. You're down uh, Wellington area. Yeah, I am. Yep. But the beaches are beautiful over there, too. <laughs> I don't know. I'm working, remember? You never got to the beach? <laughs> well, when I was working down there, I took an internship down there when I was with school. So I spent some time there. So my days off, I would go to the beach. So, yes, say, they are really nice. It's only about five minutes away from where you were working. <laughs> we're horse people. We don't even get two minutes. <laughs> Well, thank you, everybody. Kat from Draper Therapies and uh, Michael from Equestrian Riding Supply for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, too, Helena. Uh, oh, do you, do you, my pleasure, I think. <laughs> my pleasure. And we'll be back again next week with another episode of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody.